Welcome to the Columbia Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We're so excited to share this weekend's message with you from Dr. Jim Balkum, our senior pastor. We hope it encourages you, inspires you, and helps you grow in your faith as a whole life disciple. Now, enjoy the message. Man, what an awesome day yesterday was. Thank you to Casey Miner and his team, Greg, all of the people, Rachel, who worked with you uh, for what you did to make that happen, because uh, I think we'll always remember this year like a lot of other things. And you know, Greg, I think this is going to be like a lot of things Columbia uh, does. Next year, I'm positive we'll be running together, but we're going to have to have a virtual component to this race. From now on, look at all the people around the country and even in other parts of the world who participated with us in this virtual race. And it's incredible that we were able to raise so much money, over $80,000, $85,000, that the net would be $70,000 to spend yourself. Thank you for your generosity and for your gifts. And that's one of the things I want to talk about today because I'm about to wrap up the book of Philippians. And man, I, I got to tell you, there's a lot I'm ready to leave behind at this moment, but Philippians is not one thing I'm ready to leave behind. I'm sort of sad to see this sermon series in. So unlike a lot of times where I'm like, let's get on to the next thing. I just want to dwell here a while, but we can't. So next week, Greg Lower will be teaching about spend yourself and generosity and however he uh, wraps in this uh, whole uh, pursuit that we have of lifting people up uh, into the book of Philippians. And then the following week, I want you to know that we'll begin a new series called Manger Myths. So this is the time for you to gather, folks. It will be a short series just for the Advent season to ask you the question, you know, what do you think you know about the birth of Jesus and what do you really know about the birth of Jesus? And it should be, I think, a, a lot of fun. But I want to think one more time about this notion of gratitude potentially grading. A lot of people have talked with me about that and said it was a strange title. And maybe it is, but you must not be like me if you think so, because there are times it is hard for me to be grateful. And I confess to you, there are times where I don't really want to be grateful. This is a strange thing to say, but there are moments where I just want to tell God, not now. Just hold off another day when things are better, when things are different. And I've had a lot of those feelings and thoughts here lately as I look at those traditions that are so much a part of my holidays slip away. This has been a hard week for me because I'm looking forward and thinking uh, about things like the Christmas production and like the race yesterday and the the supper tonight and, and Christmas Eve. I can't imagine that we're not going to be able to gather for Christmas Eve, but we're not. We are going to prepare virtually for you. I just mourn. I'm grieving that. And I found myself praying and, and saying to God honesty. And remember, God can handle your honesty. He knows what you're thinking. I don't really want to be grateful today. I sat down with that journal to think about three more things. And man, I, I'm so into this after a couple of months, it's gotten really hard. And I just said, I, I, don't, I don't want to be grateful today. And that's when it's most important. When gratitude grates is when gratitude is greatest. And this is really significant and really important. As I've approached this sermon series, those, a lot of you, a bunch of you, have sent me this little meme that's making the way around. Have you seen this one? If 2020, it should be were, by the way, if 2020 were a slide. I mean, that just says it all about some parts, at least, of our lives, doesn't it? 
But God is still providing so much. And we can miss it if we're thinking about what's being lost. And that's why these words have been so important for us. In Philippians 4, 4 through 6, just this little fragment I want to read today. Read it with me. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice because the Lord is near. Therefore, let your gentleness or moderation, your calibration to the situation be evident to all. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with Eucharisteo, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Now, this is what we've learned, and I'm just going to review very quickly about thanksgiving. It is a process. It's not just feeling grateful or even saying you're grateful. It is calibrating your life, your response to every given situation in light of God's nearness through Jesus Christ. It is Gaining the capacity to see the moment for the possibility it really is. Every moment. By gaining eternity, we also gain the present. We gain the moment. It is discovering what God is up to in a given situation and therefore calibrating my response. Now my reaction, my initial reaction, may be a little troubling. But I can calibrate my response if given just a little time to practice gratitude. Once we've calibrated our response, then we don't let our mind be divided by fear. This I taught you is mermnate. It is the meaning of do not be anxious about anything. Don't be divided. Be single focused. And what focuses us on the goodness of God is gratitude. That's what gratitude does. It links us to the goodness of God. Then receive God's peace, which really means to receive his presence, as I've been teaching you, and then put it into practice. It's that simple. Four steps. Calibrate your response. Don't let your mind be divided by fear. Instead, focus your energies and mind with gratitude. Receive God's peace and then put it into practice. What we're practicing is Eucharistias or Eucharisteo, which is true thanksgiving no matter what and contains the words grace and joy. So gratitude is this coping skill that we learn. It's this muscle we develop. Now let's put a wrapper around this the way that Paul does. In truth, you're tempted to throw away this last little section of Paul's letter because it sounds like he's just wrapping the whole thing up and you've read the main content. So you're somewhat tempted to miss what he's offering here because what Paul wants to do now is to ask you, do you pass the gratitude test? I've put it this way. There are two litmus tests that Paul gives for whether we are truly thankful or truly grateful. You know, if you ever were in a lab, if you took chemistry and you did labs, you had that little, that little strip of paper, a litmus strip. Do you remember that? And it was used to test for the presence of something. Different strips tested for different things, some more common than others. And my, my thing is, when, when the difficulty of life when the pain of life pricks your finger and, and draws blood, and all of us have experienced that, if you touch these two things, do they turn red with the blood of Jesus? That's the test. This is the test of whether we're truly grateful. And this is all about Paul's expression of being contented. So let's take a look at this closing section of the letter. Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 23. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord, that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you are concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. 
I'm not saying this because I am in need. Pay close attention. I'm not saying this because I need anything you can give to me. Because I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know that it is good to be in need, and I know that it is good to have plenty. That's literally what he says. I know it's good to be either way. I've learned the secret. Remember the mystery hidden in plain view? of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this. I can endure all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except for you. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. (laughs) Listen again. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your heavenly account. I've received full payment and have more than enough. I'm amply supplied now that I have received from uh, Propodius the gifts you sent. Propodius, that's off my screen. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now as I go, greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me, they send their greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Now, just the closing of a letter, right? Just the end of something. You know, it's the section of something you write where you just say, hope you guys are well, like to see you soon, hope things are going okay. But really, Paul says a great deal here that closes out his thought about gratitude. And I suggest to you, once again, he offers us the two proofs that we are truly grateful. Now, do you want to know if you're truly grateful? This is how you'll know. The first one is contentment in any situation. I just read this, but pay attention again. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Now, I don't know about your life, but this turns out to be a tall order for me. I can become pretty discontented If things don't work out according to my plan, if things don't go as they they should in my world. So what I tend to do is to get these unrealistic expectations for almost everything and to apply those expectations for my measurement of the moment. Now listen to how silly this is. Does this moment live up to my previous expectations when there's no way I could have even seen this moment when I formed those expectations. More problematic is the fact that my memory then will be shaped by my expectations. This is crazy. 
Not that I'm appreciating the moment for what it is and then remembering it for what it was, but I'm remembering whether it lived up to my expectations or not as much as I'm remembering what actually happened, which means I'm missing the possibility of the moment. I'm missing what could have happened in this moment. I'm missing the uniqueness of this moment I never could have foreseen. I'm missing what God means to provide for me in this moment. Paul's learned the secret. Shut my mouth, remember? Shut my ears in order to define and understand a mystery. In order to receive what's happening right now, I've learned to be content in any and every situation. But it's really a little deeper than that. So one more time, sharing a little Greek with you, one more time in this series, and thanks for all of you who've loved it so much, Paul says something interesting when he says, I've learned the secret of being content in every situation that the English translation just can't capture. And that is when he says, Emi, Atarkis, and I. Emi, Atarkis, and I. That's what's translated of being content in every situation. What Paul really says, I will be satisfied sufficiently. Give that one a try with me, would you? Because this is a declaration. This is a statement of a reality that Paul is going to create with the help of the Holy Spirit and the presence of Christ. It's something he says he's going to do, and it is, in fact, the act of gratitude. Isn't it gratitude when you say, I am sufficiently satisfied? If you bumped into Paul on the street, you go, hey, Paul, how you doing? And Paul would say, you know what? I'm well enough. I'm well enough to do whatever God has asked me to do in this moment. I'm well enough. I'm amply supplied. I'm provided for. Now, you will, I think, even though you probably won't gather with family or friends in the same way that you do, maybe some of you will, be careful. But if you gather on Thanksgiving, if you don't, you're still probably going to prepare a a big meal. I've been reading that people are going to eat things other than turkey. That's just blasphemy. Eat turkey. It could be a turkey breast, be a turkey leg but eat some turkey. And so after you eat that big Thanksgiving meal, you're not going to say, thank you so much for preparing that meal. In fact, you may be the one preparing it, in which case you'd have to look in the mirror to do it. You're not gonna do that. What you're gonna do is you're gonna lean back, you're gonna put your hands on your belly, and you're gonna say, wow, I am stuffed like a turkey. That's what you're gonna do. And everyone at the table is going to know that what you mean is that was what? Awesome. That was great. You're also probably going to say, wonder why we don't eat this but once a year. But you won't. You won't do the turkey again until next year, which is much to the chagrin of turkey farmers. But at the end of the day, when we say we're satisfied, what we mean is we are grateful. Now, this is important because this is the kind of gratitude that means something to God. Often, what we offer is begrudging gratitude. Have you ever noticed that? So we we say essentially, Lord, thank you that I'm breathing, even though I knew I would be. Thank you for the water to drink, even though I've had water all my life and it should be that way. Thank you for indoor toilets, right? I mean, the things we forget that we have and take for granted until we go somewhere where people don't have these things. And then it occurs to us, wow. And what really stuns us is when we meet people in a place like Haiti 
or Zimbabwe or some, somewhere like that, and they have a fraction of what we have, and they're more grateful than we are. That stuns us. It shocks us, and it brings us back to the moment, back to reality. To be grateful is to be satisfied sufficiently. And that's what Paul's saying. I will be satisfied sufficiently. Would you just say that with me? Everyone, wherever you are, I want to say it three times. I will be satisfied sufficiently. I will be satisfied sufficiently. I will. I will be satisfied sufficiently. Now, here's what Paul knows. This is a test of Eucharisteo. If he is not satisfied, then he is not grateful. Because to be unsatisfied is to say that God has not given us enough. It's to say that God has not provided what we need, and that's usually not the case. Now, I have had some interesting conversations with people that say, how can I be happy with what I have and still aspire to more? And I think there is nothing wrong with aspiring to more as long as you don't need that more in order to be satisfied. You see, I can be satisfied with where I am right now what God has given to me and still believe that my best days are ahead. A church can be satisfied with what it is and still believe its best days are ahead and its job is still to grow the kingdom because God is always working and moving. But being satisfied in the moment is test one, litmus test one of true gratitude. What is litmus test two? Generosity. This is really simple, isn't it? Contentment. Generosity. But it's generosity directed to God through others. Did you pay attention to what I read a moment ago? He says, look, I'm thrilled with your being a part of my life through giving and receiving. See, Paul was contented, but the church at Philippi had been an especial, a special encouragement to him because they'd started the ball rolling. They'd given to him when others wouldn't. And so they'd been a real source of strength for him. Later he says, they're a fragrant offering, these gifts you've given, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. That is, you didn't give these things to me. You gave them to God. So Paul says, look, I'm glad you gave them to me, not that I need them or anything. Not that I I need anything you've given to me. Don't need any of it. Thanks very much. But you know what? They're registered in your heavenly account, and that is is a good thing. One thing about Paul that I realized as I read this is that Paul writes a lousy fundraising letter. This is a terrible thank you note. My mama taught me to write thank you notes, and when she taught me to write thank you notes, she said, first of all, be specific. So she said, say exactly what the other person has given to you, and then tell them how you will use it, how much you love it, how much you appreciate it, and finally, just say to them that you love them, and then close out the letter. So when I write a thank you note, that's still etched in my brain, mom, who's watching right now. You know, be specific about what you've received. You know as well as I do that a thank you note you give that just says, thanks for giving me something, name signed, means nothing. A person can't even remember what you bought out of their gift registry when they were married. But whatever the case may be, you write, thanks for this. Wow, will we use that well? We really needed it. We really appreciate it. Thanks for your love, Jim. Okay, so that's not what Paul does. 
Paul's such a lousy fundraiser. I just gotta tell you, everything I've learned about fundraisers from professionals is be really specific that the other person really wants you to be interested in them, right? People do this well. World Vision does it well. We've all learned to do it. But Paul doesn't do that. He says, I don't even need what you sent me. It's of no use to me, really. I appreciate it. I mean, thanks. But I I didn't even need it. I'm contented no matter what. He doesn't even specifically say what people were the biggest donors. That's all wrong if you're fundraising. He should have mentioned the top three fundraisers. Name something after them. This is going to be my mission of this person. Whatever the case may be, Paul says, nope, I'm grateful to God. And what he's saying is you have been a source of his provision. Now, if you think about it, that's really something bigger, isn't it? Because if I thank you for something temporally that makes me happy right now, I'm thanking you in the moment and now it's over. But if I say to you, you remind me of the generosity of God, I've attached your giving to something that is eternal, something that is significant. Did you notice perhaps that Paul finished his letter the way he started it? Faith in God is trust in God's providence. At the end of the day, my God will meet your needs according to the riches of his glory in Jesus Christ, and he'll do it in the same way he's done it for me because whatever he provides will be sufficient. It will be enough to accomplish whatever he has tasked me to do. How did Paul begin his letter? Philippians chapter one, verse three. I thank my God every time I remember you. I'm not grateful to you. I'm grateful to God for you. I've thought about this a lot and wondered if this is the way churches should always thank people for what they do. You know, Greg, when we... When we thank people for raising money yesterday and running a race, shouldn't we say we thank our God that he provided through you? Not thanks to you because you're good people, because no one is good but God. But thanks to God who gives good gifts through you. That's a powerful thing. I thank my God when I remember you, and I'm just going to say to you in these days, I resonated with Paul when I started reading this letter, first and foremost, because as a pastor like Paul, I thought about all the people I'm missing so much. And I could write and say to them, I thank my God. Every time you're drawn to my mind. Every time I remember you. Well, one more thing and we're done. When Paul closes the letter, he says an interesting thing. All God's people here send you greetings. And then he says, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. There is nothing like this anywhere else in the New Testament except here. Caesar at the time was Nero. Nero would become the greatest persecutor of the early church. Nero would take Paul's life. Nero. But people in Nero's court were watching this man in chains. This man in prison. People were watching his contentment, and his generosity. They were seeing his gratitude. And people in positions of power and influence were led to give their lives to Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. We've acted as though generosity, we've acted as though contentment, we've acted as though 
gratitude were things to make us more joyful, us happier. But what if that's all a byproduct? If the real purpose of gratitude is to show the world who Jesus is, if the real purpose of gratitude is to bring others to know the God who sufficiently provides, what if the truth is, the secret, that joy and peace come as a byproduct of living a life of demonstrated faith in Jesus Christ? Gratitude is the most important thing there is when it is most difficult. Gratitude is greatest when it grates most. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you and we thank you for everything you've given. It is sufficient. And we are contented. Make us generous. And bring others who might even be hearing me today to the secret, the truth of living lives of gratitude to you, O Heavenly Father, through your Son, Jesus Christ, who lived and died and rose again, that we might be forever grateful in Jesus' name. Amen. Columbia, I love you. I thank my God every time I remember you. Have a blessed Thanksgiving week. You go and ignite passion for Jesus Christ from Metro Washington to the world. We'll see you soon. Hey, thanks again for listening. If you live in the Metro DC or Northern Virginia area, we would love to worship with you at one of our weekend gatherings. For directions, service times, and information about all the incredible things happening at Columbia, go to columbiabaptist.org. That's columbiabaptist.org.